be Saturday? What day is it today? Wednesday. Exactly. Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falcon, Sniper Falcon Screen, and we're joined by Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Good morning. It's morning where we are. Maybe where you're listening, it's morning. We don't know, but it's definitely night for, for you, but it's morning for us. So if anything crazy in film happened in the next 12 hours, yeah, uh, we take no responsibility for not. We'll cover it, it in seven days. Yeah. And freelance writing critic for Rot Nehru. Who's Good, a, morning. Good morning. Good morning, Vietnam. Good right. morning, Vietnam, if you're listening. Yeah, good morning, anyone who's listening. Vietnam's <laughs> almost on the same timeline, so it's probably morning. It's morning there, too. Yeah. I'm not sure quite what time, but it's morning. So we're from Fight Club, and later in the program, we're going to be talking about a new documentary that premiered on Netflix, The Social Dilemma. It is about social media and the perils thereof. We're going to get into some detail. First, we want to talk about some of the events that are happening about town. A queer screen is ongoing, and the queer screen pitch-off their pitching event for films is happening on the 27th. That's something you can tune into and have a pitch for a film if you like. There's a lot of festivals happening around the country, just to note, in person. The topic we're going to be talking about at the moment, Vision Splendid in Queensland, the Darwin International Film Festival. Um, Static Vision going into week 27 of screenings coming this Friday. The Melbourne Queer Film Festival have an event coming up also on Friday. Blue Shorts is screening this weekend in Mount Victoria, which is a Blue Mountain-centric film festival from Lithgow to Lapsden. And Filmonic is happening next week, the Melbourne Short Film Night on September 30th. And a couple of events that are not festivals, but one is Prince Ahmed is screening with a full orchestral accompaniment, not an actual orchestra, just the audio at the Chevelle on Saturday and Sunday. I'm going to go along to one of the sessions because I haven't seen the film and I do miss right? very much. Hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a good idea. Yeah, yeah, I might make them on. Cinema's getting more creative with the stuff they're doing. And a couple of festivals that have announced recent runs. Um, the Fantastic Film Festival has announced every Saturday over October they're going to be doing events at the Ritz Cinema Reborn run by Jeffrey Garner. It was supposed to run its third iteration earlier in the year and it was supposed to 2021. But now Jeffrey has gone ahead and pushed for events happening this coming October. Yeah, they've just gone through their Fellini retrospective, which now continues expanded to every single Fellini film. So they're filling in the gaps, then moving into his latter career stuff when they've shown all the early stuff that wasn't in the early retrospective. And soon they're going to have a Jean-Pierre Melville retrospective, which is pretty exciting for me. I'll finally get to see Le Circle Rouge on the big screen. His stuff, I think, will play really well in the cinema. So it's, it's a really cool thing they're putting on. Also, um, this being Film Fight Club, I can't not point out that The Ritz is showing every single David Lynch film on Mondays in October, starting from the 8th. You know, Chris, this was my one time to be the one to bring up David Lynch. One time. And you took it from me. (laughs) (laughs) They're playing every David Lynch film. What's the one playing at midnight? Is it a Razorhead? Are they just playing that at midnight? That's so cool. Yeah, I've never seen it, so I should... Go. Yeah, come along for sure. But actually, uh, talking about this, the other favorite thing, Glenn, that I'm going to take away from you is that they're continuing their Bond retrospective and the Pierce Brockton <sighs> movies are now the ones, which are clearly the most fun Bond films. How did they get through them so quickly? Yeah, we were already up to Goldeneye and like The World Is Not Enough in October. Wow. Yeah. Goldeneye is my favorite Bond film. I've never actually seen it on the big screen. That would be fun. That would be fun, actually. They've actually timed it to the release of No Time to Die. So by the time November comes around, they would actually have finished their entire retrospective. Provided it does actually release then, which I think it might, but I think a lot of people will be seriously reconsidering any early release plans after how Tenet bombed. Tenet bombed, though? I think it did pretty well considering the circumstances. Well, overseas, yes, but in America, it bombed. It's like up to 30 million after three weeks, I think. 
Yeah, it's very it, bad. It didn't get the momentum it wanted, which I think in many quarters is considered a failure, certainly for a lot of more aspirational studios who wanted to start releasing big budget, Fast and Furious, James Bond type stuff. I, and they're really pushing Bond hard. They're releasing all these short videos of Ray Malek's villain as if he's not Dr. No. Here's <laughs> John Harrison, the new film, the new Bond villain. This is John Harrison, but, good callback. That's yeah. a deep geek cut. But, oh, that um, was terrible. Tenet did really well here though. Like in Australia, it, it, it did. did well. At least a lot of cities in Australia are a little more confident in going to the movies. That's right. And though it, it did well here, it still hasn't worked in the way that they were hoping for, which is it's not making so much money in week one, but it could pick up momentum week after week. The if, drops if, have been too if, steep each week. But if week. the overseas box office is, is better, then does the film still considered a failure? Australia, relative to its population, was one of the best markets for it, if not the best. Yeah, because I'm just seeing everyone is watching Tenet. <laughs> Anyone I know is watching well, Tenet. The, it's a big talking point. It is, but the issue is that I think it doesn't have the word of mouth that they wanted it to have. I don't think it's as beloved as previous Nolan films, and it needed to be for this release pattern to work, really. But even then, I think the US, considering their COVID situation, is vastly different to Australia in any case, so... Great. It's, it's very different. The amount of uh, prominent US film critics who their job every is to go to the cinemas every day and they're just saying, no, no, I need to be reviewing these films, but I'm not prepared to go to the cinema now for my health, my sake. And I respect that. Everyone has to make their personal decision. And certainly I would feel very differently about, I still have a reservation for going to the cinema locally, some, but, and I have been on occasion, but it'll be very, we had to be having a very different conversation about this if Film Fight Club was based out in the United States. Very much so. And speaking of things happening in cinemas, there is a film festival we didn't mention, which is starting tomorrow night. It's been away for a few years. Last time it happened was December 2017. A Night of Horror film festival has restarted. It was supposed to restart in March. It got delayed. And now it's starting at the Actors Center in Leichhardt. It's screening from the 24th through to the 26th. And it's a lot of late night horror films and a lot of genre fare. Some, you know, bigger movie thrills with schlock stuff and some horror frights. I've enjoyed a lot of the features that have screened there in the past and particularly because a lot of emerging filmmakers and aspiring filmmakers operating in the horror medium there's always some great shorts so i'm looking forward to going along over the weekend yeah, it's a great venue as well it's a, it's a very hidden venue people don't really utilize the actor center so i'm glad that night of horror is using it we're going to be using it for the sydney science fiction film festival as well come november but it's a really lovely venue you can socially distance stay safe and it's a it's one of the few venues that can allow that many people in there and still kind of make you feel safe in the current environment. Well, more and more are doing events in person. SF3, um, which I'm going along to, have just quietly have a film in the final. Yes. Um, they are screening. You can still get tickets to their gala weekend and they have a few events going on the weekend of October 9th. But they are doing a live stream as well as an in-person event. I know a lot of film festivals are doing the same thing. There are some that are going ahead um, in physical form, as you discussed, like Darwin, um, a lot of the touring film festivals, like the traveling film festival, Liquorfest, are doing some in-person events around the country. But a lot of moving to this hybrid model of streaming and having an event in person. And this is certainly not, not adverse to public health advice. And if people feel comfortable going, they should. And festivals should feel comfortable if they do feel comfortable in the space they're in and given they know their market experimenting in the area. And often there are audiences who only want to see a film in person and if the festival feels comfortable reaching out to those audiences and staging public event now, obviously observing such things as discussed, they should do so. Put it this way, so far there have been no COVID spreads officially linked to cinemas in Australia. So 
That's true. And and the cinema is you know. what I've I've noticed the people working there, they are very thorough in cleaning after every screening. That's it's right. My experience in each of the cinemas I've gone to. Absolutely. That's been my experience as well. I'm not saying that it's not possible or that there's zero risk, but it's definitely a promising sign. And, and they're all definitely enforcing the socially distancing rule of sitting as well, because I see the actors yeah. coming in all the time and checking that people are sitting in their assigned seats and everything else. So it's actually being enforced really thoroughly. Yeah. Sorry to have a tenant and these businesses. If you're not going to go to the cinema on occasion at this time, Maybe check out a festival because the day the venues they're looking doing they're pushing hard too and uh, a lot of getting up at the moment and certainly that of horror hasn't screened in a few years and maybe the bums on seats yeah i just think if you love cinemas it's a nice time to support them as long as you're prepared to take what i consider it to be a small risk i won't say that the risk isn't there but i do think it's a great time to I mean, show support you- in New South Wales, at least, for the first time, uh, we did have no active new COVID cases come in yesterday. Nice. Uh, it's incredible how it just doesn't seem to have sparked on a second time. So things are getting better, at least here. So Melbourne, Victoria, prayers. We- getting better in Victoria as well. Yeah, it was good to hear. And I know a lot of festivals looking, places looking forward to just getting back to in-person events, whether they're one-off events or full-on. We had the Underground Film Festival conclude last week. We had Stefan on. Um, I know they're looking forward to getting back in person this year. We discussed briefly a film Chris and I worked on. It actually um, place, which was nice. I know Josh Belafonte, the filmmaker, is looking to do more stuff in the Sugar universe that he and uh, Suff brought about. But I really have to give credit to Suff for tapping into an audience and market there where they said, the filmmakers are at home. They want to do stuff. They more than doubled the amount of entries they had last year. And they were great. I enjoyed watching them all. It showed. Yeah, you know, it was, a, it was see, a lot uh, of fun. I want, to, I want to see the public utilities extended universe. That's, that's the public utilities film. It's the big suite of uh, a classic film nougat. <laughs> but you should check out um, Josh's short, which is now has a new life as part of his feature. Josh made the big suite, by the, by the way. Josh Belenfonte. That's the film we're referring to from Suff. Placed third in the Take 48 competition. Congratulations yeah. to the winners and the audience favorite. Yeah, but if you'd like to see what a public utilities extended universe looks like, yeah, check out Josh's short Requires Review or his feature World's Best Film, which opens with Requires Review, which is pretty much just that. And it's a very good shot. It's a very good shot. And just on the film, it's, I don't think he was, pl- obviously no one was really planning on releasing a film in a pandemic, but he released it and it actually tapped for a lot of audiences into quite feeling what they're having now because the film is about, I didn't think I'd be able to get out and about, I'm able to do that now, what do I do now that I'm able to do this? And I think that's a, how a lot of people are feeling right now. So it is a great aspirational film for this moment. I do want to give you a proper shout out, Glenn, because you surreptitiously gave yourself a shout out, which wasn't, I think, justified. It was too low key. So congratulations on Glenn Falkenstein for having a film in the finals of SF3, which is a huge, huge accomplishment. Uh, yay. Now we have two filmmakers on this panel. <laughs> so, and yeah, only one freelance screening. So there we go. It actually was really nice. I, I wasn't expecting it. And um, I've been covering the festival for a long time and it's an amazing one and it's grown exponentially. And it's still, I think, as Chris noted last year, at the crux of getting very established filmmakers who want to experiment and emerging filmmakers who want to get out there by virtue of the smartphone format. And because of that, it's going from strength to strength. Those because of just the passion of Ali and Angela who are behind it. Um, it's Angela Lake and Ali Crew. So good on them. And yeah, I'm, I'm keen for, for October 9th. 
And that place uh, where you mix up-and-comers and more established people getting their hands dirty and experimenting is, I think, exactly where you'd want a short film competition to be. But thank you, bro. That's very kind. So that's SF3. That's October 9th. And I think we want to talk about The Social Dilemma. I think we do. Yes, it is a Netflix hybrid documentary i say that lightly it's not very much a hybrid documentary it's a documentary it just features some hokey reenactments um some hokey some good some bad some hokey some very good yeah I'll, it's not it's not all bad but we'll get to that it is about the dangers of social media um sort of the perils of the pitfalls about the philosophical and practical fallout of the rise of advents like facebook and twitter notably tiktok isn't mentioned I think this was made before, maybe made before that, or just the people interested in commenting on TikTok. A lot of this is talking heads of ex big wigs at Facebook and Twitter and Google, yeah. guy who co-designed the Facebook like button, talking about their misgivings about their roles and the industry. Yeah, it's people who have worked at these companies and have now quit, so they're free to talk about how terrified they are, knowing what's behind. The faceless algorithm. Notably, no one who actually worked at the, in these companies was uh, either there, as we probably know, asked to talk. Maybe they were. I'm sure it's it was, corporate policy not to badmouth these institutions. But I would have liked to have heard their their points of view on this as well. For a balance, it's a lot of people who are disenfranchised with the industry and the space and speaking about it. And I would like to hear a different perspective on it. I would too, but my, I think it would actually be way less interesting in execution than it's, it is in theory, because I doubt you'd get anything beyond a brick wall of PR statements. I really believe you would not be allowed to even just defend it. You just have to say like stock standard boring things, like what a Facebook says when you put him in front of a congressional hearing. What I'm Zuckerberg so was in this, in, this, in this movie. Can the I just say, Facebook that guy, Mark Zuckerberg, yeah. yeah, Zuckerberg is so off-putting. He, he's just, he has such a creepy vibe. He is actually creepier than... Jesse Eisenberg as Zuckerberg in Batman versus Superman. Um, a little while ago, pictures went viral of Zuckerberg surfing on near his estate in Hawaii, and it was just him with absolute clearly covered in sunscreen on a surfboard. And there were all these great jokes of now they're just admitting that it's an android. And yeah, he, he gives off his testimony gives off a strange vibe, but it's not that he's looked strange in a suit. He just has a very highly clinical vibe. And I don't criticize it because I, I consider myself quite a clinical person too, but I think with Zuckerberg, it's too extreme. You seem way more human, Glenn. You don't give off alien vibes like Zuckerberg. <laughs> so I wouldn't compare Thank you, you Chris. No, I, I, you actually seem 100% human for the record. <laughs> we are people. We're not just disembodied voices. Yeah. As a film, I wasn't so impressed by this thing, to be honest. But for me, it got kind of boring. But I am pretty well versed in everything that the film is covering. I wonder if this is more successful as a crash course. With this movie, I don't have a problem with, to a great extent, of just hearing the perspective of people who are ex-Facebook, ex-Twitter, because they have a lot of interesting things to say. A lot of what they have to say is fascinating. A lot of the philosophical perspectives they bring in, but it's very clear that a few of these folks, and the film doesn't address this, may very well likely do have an axe to grind. And that's why I say I would like to have heard, even if it is a press statement and it's just included on the screen, here's what Facebook thinks of the film. Here's why Google thinks that what they're doing is good. And some of the talking heads do say what they're doing is great. I think there's one example where someone says Google 
brings people together, brings long lost families and unites them. This is true. And even if that's the perspective of some of these tech giants, I want to hear you say, we're ultimately a force for good. And here's why. Yeah, I think you're right, Glenn. I, when I was watching it, because I just watched the latest Michael Moore documentary on TV a few nights ago, and I was thinking about you know, Moore's position as propaganda and what does propaganda mean? I had the same thought that this is basically propaganda because you never allow the other side to speak, even though I think the side speaking is completely right. That's beside the point. As a film, it would be much better to at least seem to be acknowledging the other perspective, even um, if they're just given a blank robotic Zuckerberg-esque PR statement you can even use that as a tool in your disposal to show how cut off from humanity these people are, right? It can still be pushing one perspective very strongly while at least attempting to provide a counterbalanced perspective. On that note, I found the film actually kind of boring. I was thinking like, yeah, well, it, fl- it flows pretty well. It's fairly well presented. But then I thought, is it? It's the talking heads approach got very boring for me midway through. I don't think this would be boring to people who don't know anything about the subject, but I'm pretty well-versed in this. And this is really an at-a-glance presentation of the broadest, most discussed ideas about how social media is damaging society. To compare it to the Moore film that was fresh in my mind from the other day, he is such a better filmmaker when it comes to putting a documentary together. His film was a bit scattershot, but really engaging and actually more convincing because he uses the tools of the medium. This film, you know, the animation segments early on are just kind of like, why do we have this, but we also have these reenactments? It's like, here's the obligatory flash animation, PowerPoint looking thing. You see it every cinematic documentary, the, the least imaginative way that we can break up the talking heads. Yeah, just in terms of how it was made as a documentary, it got very flat. The medium is not being used in such a way that if you already know this stuff, you will be engaged. I like what you did there, Chris. Uh, Most film was more interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's true. I haven't seen a lot of Michael Moore's latest works, but what I have seen, certainly these television series, which I quite like, Jelly and Day, he's sort of materials a lot better. What more, this film, like a lot of Moore's films, wants to get you a little angry, but also have a call to action. At least Moore's very open about the form in his documentaries. Here it annoyed me where they try to finish this call, stop using social media so much. But I don't think that was the function of an informative and more introspective documentary where Moore's very much a political campaigner. I think I had a similar criticism of, I agree with Chris, I had a similar criticism of Machine last year, which was the Melbourne National Film Festival, where they talked about AI and outlined the problems, but only really touched on solutions at the end and gave a very broad overview. I remember I stopped the film about a third of the way in after the first act and had a chat to a close friend. And I said, I, this is interesting. They've set an interesting baseline and made it very broadly accessible. And I hope they could go to some more detail and some, some more technical detail about how Facebook does this. I mean, they say that only a few people understand these algorithms. That's fine. But they could have gone to a little more detail about how they work. Certainly even House of Cards did this. And then the film throughout the second and third acts says its level and certainly it wants to be accessible to people who aren't necessarily across a lot of these things but i've made an effort like chris to read up a lot of this i have a view on this and an opinion and therefore it wasn't as engaging to me and on the reenactments the opening ones which were ter- some of the opening ones where it's the family talking about oh should we put have the kids social media terribly staged but the ones with pete from Mad Men, where they're reenacting the facebook algorithm i actually quite enjoyed those those were quite good i quite enjoyed those too i, I should comment I mean, when we talk about these reenactments, those are 
like I said at the beginning, kind of hokey. But as you said, not that bad. Like they could have been way worse. They're they're a bit cheesy, but they basically work at what they're meant to do. And some of the ideas that come forward, like Pete from Mad Men as the the nerds that uh, represent. That was funny. That was it. Was a clever way of staging it. It was funny enough. And it's actually kind of true to life. Yeah, worked in a. Yeah, Very eerie sense. But the family story um, starts off kind of silly, uh, but if anything, kind of clashing tonally because this is a very like we need to sit up and pay attention type movie in terms of the tone. The talking heads are striking, but it's like they knew that this was kind of a bit dumb documentary reenactment thing. So they struck a kind of silly tone and it, I found it kind of clashing. And then it suddenly it goes from silly to like really, really serious. You have to take this seriously. You have to pay attention. Yeah. And, and the documentary has that sin that a lot of documentaries do at the very beginning where for no reason and for no function or form, it just shows them in their makeup chairs and getting ready. So there's this big reason behind this to show a bit behind the veil, but here it's just to fill some space because this is what you're accustomed to with documentaries. It's a very pro forma structured and produced documentary in so many respects. And I know they're looking for a bit of a lighthearted, accessible approach from some of these people, but you have brilliant people who most people will not have access to. And I wanted to hear some, a couple offered really in-depth stuff and otherwise- yeah. And maybe they did more. It just wasn't really featured if it did, if they did. I thought I had about the, the reenactments. Like, yeah, they're dumb, but I thought, but then again, this is, film is designed to reach the broadest possible audience. They've put something in to make it interesting for people who don't usually watch documentaries. I think that's the approach. That doesn't mean it's good, um, but I guess I am emphatically not the target audience. I've listened to a deep dive, more than an hour long podcast with one of the guys featured in this movie. You know, like I am that sounds much more in, interesting. It was definitely more interesting. I am interested in this stuff already. So it's not really for me, but it doesn't do anything to engage me with the form if I already know this. That's my big problem with it. What I did like and what they did go into some detail on was the addictive elements of social media and how you have to look at notifications to note. And you should never do this, but because I was doing something else for a bit of the time, part of it I watched on my phone. And <laughs> there were bits where my notifications would come up and you know what? And they were in the middle of these discussions and I just had a pause. And I just had to check notifications. Some were our chats in fairness planning the show, but otherwise it was just random friends and this and that. And it's true to life and it's a cautionary tale. And I wish they would have gone into some of the elements like they did the addictive elements in some more concrete detail. They could have dived way further, but instead we spent a lot of time on this reenactment. Like in case you didn't get this idea here, we're going to have some people acted out in a broad way. That said, the extreme center thing running throughout, oh no, he's being radicalized by the extreme center. That's pretty funny. I'll give props for that. Yeah, oh, no, I, Too much I, extreme I, I, center I content. It, I, I found it a two on the nose, honestly. Mm. Like it was funny, but. But yeah, it's not great. The, the, the whole point the whole point of these reenactments is to illustrate not to offer new information really and to accentuate what everyone's saying on screen and it's not a hybrid documentary it's a regular documentary with a cool thing with Pete from Mad Men and some badly produced family scenes generally yeah I will say about the reenactments um, they're better than I guess uh, when you watch a like a European historical documentary on SBS and they've got some bad actors in historical costume. It's better than that, but that's, yes. that's a low bar to clear. It's better than the BBC ones where this is what it was like in Robin Hood's England and around the time of the Crusades. And it looks like they just went to Yorkshire and found some farm. Hmm. I, I, I liked this. I just found it. I, I wish it had pushed itself to more searing and more damning places that it clearly wanted to. 
Yeah, and and um, because it's designed to be a film that gets people to actually sit up, pay attention, and take action, and to be broadly accessible, I wasn't convinced by the suddenly and now let's get optimistic tone at the end. I don't think that they they should strike a tone of we're all doomed necessarily. I think it's fine to try and get people to say like we need to do something to change things, but. Um, just the way that suddenly optimism crept into the reenactments, which had gotten so doomy, the drama inserts. Oh, it's like, I don't believe that. You, you have to have that hit at the end of things are going to get better. I did like some of the anecdotes, the whole, um, these executives that let their kids use these things. Um, I found fascinating the one where the guy's talking about the Pinterest director, how he used to go into his cupboard, his pantry, and just talk about, and like, go on Pinterest when he was at home because he was addicted. Mm. That was great. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, that very brutal honesty, I appreciated. I just wanted to hear more facts, but I, I agree. Obviously had NDAs where they couldn't discuss anything in any great detail. Perhaps, but they, they were still going pretty like clearly anti their bosses. There were some good moments. There were some let's, high, real highlights. Let's talk about the subject because this, this movie is designed to get people talking and to start conversations, right? Yeah, and I used to be a lot more on social media I go on Instagram a few times a day. I, I go on Instagram once a day for a bit. And then, but I, Facebook I do once a day now. I, I think even, even before this, uh, I just, I'm not someone who takes social media very seriously. So I kind of take it as a joke. And I still use Twitter as kind of like my personal diary, like in 2009. So I still haven't changed my format of using Twitter. It, it, I still shit posts. It's not really. Uh, so just, and Instagram is basically food photos. It's food porn, essentially, for me. So it, it's like I've got a very defined role for each social media platform. And it's playing. So as long as it doesn't like, I doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's overtaking and consuming me. But uh, at the same time, I feel the sensational treatment of this documentary took away from the impact it otherwise could have had. Like I wanted to take it seriously, but beyond a point in time, I was just like, you guys just have an ax to grind. It kind of just feels like that. Which means like, even though if I am addicted to social media, which probably I am surreptitiously without realizing, I didn't feel like I needed to take any action to change it because I was just like, oh yeah, well, this is now the status quo, it's all right. It's interesting you say that because I am terrified by it. I thought everyone in the film was right, but it just shows that it didn't convince you, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I'm not saying they're wrong about it, but the fact is, is this that big of fear? Is this mm. like adjusted to this new reality now? We're going to like, talk about adjusted to this new kind of, you know, social media world. Well, yeah, we have to because there's no putting the genie back in the bottle. How I think it's right to look at the ramifications. And I th I th okay, we're going to get into if such a thing exists for this movie. Spoilers now and discuss some of the issues and solutions it proposes. I agree with the stance that it has to be regulated. As an example, like I can't remember. I mean, I know I can see his face, but I can't tell you the name or what is done by the guy who said this. But I share his fear that civil war is coming in the United States because of this increased polarization, which I think is a direct result of social media. I think you can put blame other factors like Fox News. Fox News is a big one, but I think the social media has been able to rapidly accelerate what Fox News, I would say, and the left-wing equivalent, but there really isn't any left-wing equivalent. There's MSNBC, which is a left-wing biased news station, but it's not on the level of Fox News in terms of sheer information war. 
I mean, this it, was it, an issue with the film for me because it threw out ideas like this. It threw out the 2018 interview with Mark Zuckerberg. It talked about Myanmar. It talked about self-harm linked to social media, but then didn't really explore it. It talked about how students deal with in class and family dinner situations, but didn't go into any real detail. As regards what's happening, yes, I, I mentioned House of Cards earlier. That went into more detail about how social media can be used to cause political unrest through mass data. I would love to have, have had a big data discussion in this, but they refer to data as this big um, anonymous amorphous blob, which they didn't really get into. Why? You had a platform. Mm. Could have done it. When they started speaking about self-harm, I was thinking, okay, yeah, this is really interesting. But then maybe they thought that that issue was more touched upon than the political polarization in terms of mainstream media, but they quickly just dumped it. And I thought, hold on, um, that's interesting. You can't just start talking about increasing depression among young people, which is from what I can see, definitely true. I see so much fetishization of depression online and so many people saying, oh, I'm depressed, relatable. And the, this biggest- Snapchat filter thing where people were looking to augment themselves in real life, look like Snapchat filters is pretty yeah. horrifying. The statistics speak for themselves. I think the idea that like all these processes are creating changes in human society and in how we perceive ourselves and others are true. I think the idea of like increasing polarization that's stopping us from because of the way that we're, I mean, I do like the thesis. I, and I think it's fairly well structured without being that propulsive or that convincing. If you don't already agree I, with it, I guess. I certainly okay. get a lot of left-wing stuff on my social media compared to right-wing. I don't really read a lot of political stuff via Facebook, but it seems to be what I get. It seems like I would generally not disagree with. You engage with something and Facebook, and it, as this film saying, it can tell how you're engaging with something, so it knows how to give you something that you'll engage with again. Yeah. Part of it is also the timing of the release, right? I mean, it's just coming in before the US election. We know the role social media played in the last US election, and the kind of offshoots from that. So I guess this is more a cautionary tale timed to release just before the US election for people to realize, hang on, you're going to vote, you know, realize how you are, you know, interacting with social media because you think that you might be not influenced by these things that you actually but are. You are. Yeah. I feel like there is this secondary agenda there as well. Mm. And I have to give the film some credit. People, when people talk about the 2016 election, it's usually in the context of it was stolen, it was hacked. This film acknowledges that no, it wasn't. Um, they preferred Russia as the principal actor, but the people who were active in pushing a social media agenda and ones who weren't especially open about it, they didn't hack anything. They just used an publicly accessible tool to their advantage. That's a hugely important distinction. And yes, that's on the individuals, but it does put it back on the social media giants, according to this documentary. And again, they showed the 2018 interview with Zuckerberg, and I wish they had at least one person from one of these companies talk about yeah um here's how these platforms or a platform was used that i don't think anyone was either willing or legally to go there yeah i agree i like that this went in the direction of talking about regulation and at the end spoke about how this is just a symptom of capitalism run amok i mean would you agree it basically went in that political direction at the end without oh, yeah. using those words because they didn't want to alienate people that was the message. Like you can't just allow mega capitalism to exist as is. You have to put in some checks and balances because it will exploit. They made that analogy of like, it will continue to destroy the planet unless you regulate. We have to regulate. I actually like the more fundamental analogy they do with magicians and, and that craft. That was very clever. And that resonates more than we don't like capitalism because everyone knows how magician, what a magician is and how they work. It's, it's funny that we have these kind of documents coming out because I saw a very similar documentary at TIFF called The New Corporation, which is a sequel to... The Corporation? Yeah, it's a sequel to The Corporation called The New Corporation, which is 
the corporation looked at how corporations now have legal status is similar to people, but this one is now looking at what the new corporation is now looking like, where corporations co-opt positive uh, social issues to make themselves look more presentable and present themselves as an ally to people so that we feel like, oh, great, Facebook supports this cause. So I, I like Facebook or like Google supports this cause that I like. So I like Google as well. You know what? I'm fine with them doing the right thing, even if it's partly for the wrong reasons. Really? Yeah. Well, this debate happened okay, around. That, that's more interesting. Okay. You know, we're, we're going on a bit of a tangent here, but every year, uh, this is prior to marriage equality and certainly after marriage equality, I see the floats at the Mardi Gras of organizations that would traditionally be involved in commenting on the space, whether it be banks or airlines or else. The NRL certainly came out in favor of it. I certainly supported it. I voted yes. I don't begrudge them for taking a good position, even if to a great extent, it can be a PR exercise. Good for them. They did the right thing, even if it was partly even minimally for reasons that were not entirely about the cause. It's fine. I don't have an issue. Then it's, it's kind of just tying economic profit to like, you know, whatever is the issue of the time though. So if it is economically profitable, then they might align themselves to it. But if it's not, which in this case, it's clearly economically profitable for them to make people addicted to social media platforms. So they're just exploiting that. So I guess it's the same logic in that sense. If it's economically profitable, for you to align yourself to a cause, then you would do it because, you know, hey, it's, it's now cool and people will get on our side if we support marriage equality. This is the same fundamental to get people addicted to something as well. Go on another anti-capitalist street. <laughs> no, it's... Um... <laughs> but, but seriously, like, like it, it, on the capitalist argument, if you had enough people, enough momentum behind the, I don't want Facebook to have my data and therefore I'm not going to be on Facebook, they'd have to listen. I don't think they're That's at right. that critical point yet. No. And certainly this film is trying to agitate for that. That's right. I, I, which is a, a good thing to do. But yeah, what I was going to say before about the idea of like, it's economically profitable to jump behind the bandwagon of X, Y, or Y social issue. It kind of gets into the weird, the corporation place because... Um, I've heard the argument, which, you know, but it's basically a good thing, regardless of the fact that, yeah, sure, the corporation doesn't really believe in anything. The corporation doesn't really have any morality except for, like, let's make some money to make a generalization. Um, I've seen people say, oh, but that's a good thing because it, it shows the social progress and it still influences people's minds. Yes, right? Agreed. But doesn't that just show the extent to which corporations have come to control everything? They're like, oh, the corporations... Um, have approved it, therefore, social progress, and that'll convince people. I figure they can be... I'll say it can't be a force for good, to be, to be clear. Cause corporations can be a force for, good, force for good. And if enough customers say to Facebook or others, I want this from you, like I opt out of certain data sharing ranges with Facebook. I'm one of those people who are quite careful. What, I go through everything I sign up to and I know what Twitter has about me. I know what, how, what extent ads we personalized. I know what data they collect. And so I'm fine with some. I say, no, I'm not happy with this. And I think if enough people did that and set the barrier and standard at which they're clear, then Facebook and others who that are upset with for their, their practices would have to adapt. And that's fine. That's how business works. That's how it works. If a user isn't willing to use your product, then you're going to have to adapt the product. And mm. that's fine. I'm fine with the film raising awareness of it. I wish it had been in a way that was more uh, accessible by not just having a bunch of people saying, turn off social media for a day. Because I actually don't think that's necessarily the way to go about it. I do think there's a separate mental, because there's two separate arguments here. One is 
the matter of mental and personal health. And one is the matter of big data and negative effect that can have. They're related, but they're different issues and they're different. And we just had two different ways and options for dealing with two very distinct issues. They shouldn't entirely be conflated, which I think this film does a bit. I felt like the general flow between this is what it does to you to this is what it does to society was reasonably well handled. And that said, yeah, um, that said, I think it's actually great advice to turn off your social media for, uh, I mean, what I think is neither here nor there, but the point they're trying to say is realize you are being manipulated to be addicted, realize how addicted you are, because a lot of people aren't aware of that, um, which I think what the family reenactment was trying to, in a hokey way, uh, it was establishing. Um, And yeah, switch off for a bit. It's okay to do so. Yeah, well, just just describe to our social media, but yeah, it, it's like switch off for a bit just to teach yourself to be able to. So we've got to wrap up. Uh, we've enjoyed talking about the social dilemma. Let us know what you want us to find about next week. Could be a documentary, could be a Netflix film, could be a film person. I know I'll be seeing a very big film that's getting a uh, streaming release, so I can touch on that one. So if you want to let us know what you want us to fight about. One of the ways you can do so is by letting us know on our yes, social yes. media platform. Ah, yes. The, it, I, it's funny. I thought of this uh, while watching the film, but haha, it's going to be funny when we plug the social media. But the, then the movie used this joke in the end credits. They, they yeah. beat me to it. It had a, you, media. It had a little bit of self-awareness, the film. Yeah. It's just great. kidding. Yeah. Um, it, but acknowledge the whole, everyone's heard the, not everyone's heard, but many people have heard that if you're not, paying for the product of the product. And yeah, this film is people who haven't had that mantra drilled into them. Yeah, it's a bunch of stuff, surface level stuff that if you know the subject, you already know it. But uh, the good thing about this movie is it gives me an excuse for not updating the social media because social media is bad guys. Anyway, yeah. twitter.com slash filmfightclubau, facebook.com slash filmfightclub. You can send us a message there. You could contact Glenn at Falcon Screen. We are available and you can suggest stuff to us and we will take your suggestions because we are humans and yes. not robots we, we value you humans we value interpersonal relationships <laughs> <laughs> thanks have, for listening guys thanks for listening. have a wonderful morning or night enjoy movies there's been glenn barrett and chris evans of right Nehru. stay safe stay well enjoy movies good night afternoon's fine too good afternoon good evening good night